Uh, we do have a kids' class that's available at this time that just meets in the back room of this large room here, and I believe there's also a nursery available today that's uh, just set up in the room off to the corner here that's staffed. You're more than welcome to use that. If you would like, big thanks to our children's workers, I think especially on Christmas Day, and serving all of us and our children, so grateful and appreciative of all that they do uh, week after week. I want to invite you to join me in the book of 1 John chapter 4 this morning. I think many of us are probably familiar with this song, O Holy Night. Uh, If you were here last night with us for our candlelight service, O Holy Night was played uh, on the trumpet. And it begins by drawing our attention to the night of the dear Savior's birth. And as the song progresses, the final verse ends uh, opening with these words, Truly he taught us to love one another. And then it says that his law is love and his gospel is peace. He taught us to love one another. That's a very sentimental thought, and it's Christmas Day. You're, you're probably you know, feeling all the love vibes of we should all love one another and that sort of thing. Uh, but often in practice, we come up short on that, don't we? Uh, Chris, Christians frequently lack love for each other. And oftentimes, our interactions and relations, whether they be in the home or, or church or society, sink into the depths of indifference anger, hatred, uh, strife, conflict, selfishness, and so on. And even the holiday seasons, which we would think would hopefully be a time that would uh, bring us together as God's people and bring us together as uh, families, often end up being times that drive us apart and just reveal the brokenness of the relationships that we have. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and following, the Apostle John directs our attention to the importance of love. And you think about maybe what a teacher might do in the classroom. A teacher might say to his or her class, students, look at the board uh, in an effort to teach or make a point. John, to make his point, simply says, look at God. It is because of God himself that we should love one another, that we should love each other. And so in 1 John 4, 7-12, the Apostle John, he's just going to draw our attention to God himself. Just look at him. And so I want to invite you to follow along as I read, beginning in verse 7 down through verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The Apostle John gives us a few reasons that we should love one another. Should Christians love each other because it's the right thing to do? Or, you know, if we just all love each other and the people around us, the world will be such a better place. Is that why we should love one another? Well, yes, of course. But that's not why this text says that we should love one another. The reasons given here are of a far superior, a far uh, greater nature. 
And they all come down to a person, and that is God himself. Why should we love one another? Well, John says, essentially, because of God himself, and he breaks that down into three particular reasons. First of all, because God is love. When God tells us to love one another, he draws our attention to himself and what he is like. Uh, Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Uh, Verse 7 says, let us love one another. Why? What are the reasons that the Apostle John gives? Well, in verses 7 to 8, he says, because love is from God. Verse 7. And verse 8, because God is love. Uh, Where does the love that one Christian should have for another Christian come from? It comes from somewhere, right? Interestingly, John does not describe love as some kind of innate virtue that emanates from us, from ourselves. Love does not come from us. Love is not something that uh, we muster up and try really, really, really hard to produce all on our own. Okay, so if it doesn't come from within ourselves, where does love come from? Well, in many ways, it's like asking where the water of the North Saskatchewan River comes from. Uh, That great volume of water that flows through uh, the the river, where does it flow from? I mean, all that water making its way through the city, where does it come from? What's its source or origin? My understanding is that all that water comes from the Canadian Rockies. All that water comes from there. When the waters of love flow from one Christian to another, we might ask, where, do, where does it flow from? What is the source or origin of the love that you would see between one Christian and another Christian? Well, verse 7 explains that love is from God. In other words, God is the source or origin of love. He is the source from which all true love flows. It, it doesn't just flow from within us. When God calls us to love one another, he does not call us to look within, uh, which, by the way, should be really, really encouraging, especially when you find someone uh, who may be a bit challenging to love. God's not calling you to look within and find a way to love this person. Love is from God. But John doesn't stop there. God is not only the source and origin of love, uh, nor is love merely one of his attributes. John says in verse 8 that God is love. It's what and who God is. It's been said that love is not one of God's activities, but all of his activity is loving activity. Whatever it is that God does, and however it is that God does it, it's loving. Even when he executes justice, it's loving justice. Why, we might ask, does the sun give off light? Well, we could say, well, because the sun is light. Why does love flow from God? Because God is love. Where exactly do the waters of God's love flow? Well, according to the Apostle John, uh, in and through God's people towards one another. In verses 7 to 8, the Apostle John brings to our attention the fact that a child of God will share the genetics of his father. Uh, A paternity DNA test is commonly used to determine the biological father of a child. A standard paternity DNA test works by comparing the DNA profile of the child with that of the alleged father. 
And this test can determine whether the child has inherited a genetic material from the alleged father or not. Is this child, is this man the father of this child? John explains that it is the DNA of love that verifies who the father's children are. How do you know a child of God the Father? A true Christian will bear the heavenly father's DNA of love. And John's going to convey it like this. Where there is love, where that DNA exists, there is life. Where there is love, there is life. You have a a child of the father. Verse 7 says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Uh, When I look at my children, particularly one of my daughters, I see her mother. It's just like, you look at her and she looks like mom. It's obvious in a million and one ways to me. Children reflect their parents. And those who have experienced the new birth will look like their heavenly father. And the more time that they spend in their father's presence and in his company, the more of his traits they pick up, John says. Where there is love, there is life. If there's truly life within, new life, new birth, then it will manifest itself in love. Where there is love, the kind that flows from God, there is life. But on the flip side of that, where there is no love, there is no life, John says. When you don't have the DNA of love, what does that indicate? Verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Okay, so what does the absence of love for the people of God indicate? Well, according to the Apostle John, the absence of love is evidence that a person does not know God. Maybe not even at all as father. It is evidence that a person has not been born from above and is not a child of the Father. True Christians are characterized by love for one another. And if you are not characterized uh, by a love for other children of God, then maybe you're not spiritually related to them at all, John is saying. God's children love each other and they demonstrate that love. What if you were in in a church family where it seemed like, I'm not sure that these people, one, I don't know that they like each other, but it certainly looks like they don't love each other. Would you assume that they were all part of the same family and that God was their father? John is saying, you want to know where my children are really at. You look for this evidence of love. In, In God's family, in my household, you will find people who love each other even though they may be very different, and they will demonstrate it. Because God is love, we should love one another. John turns our attention to a second reason, because God has shown his love to us. Talk is certainly cheap, we sometimes say. God has done more than simply declare, than to declare his love for us. He hasn't just said, hey, I love you, and stopped there. God shows his love for us. And he shows it through his actions. Love involves concrete and objective acts. Uh, God's love was revealed to all mankind through the sending of his one and only son. The very thing that we have gathered to celebrate today. And that many of us have been celebrating the last couple days and will continue to celebrate. That God has demonstrated his love towards us by sending his one and only son. God sent his one and only son so that we might live. Look at verse 9. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was revealed. And that, as John writes, that's, that's one of the themes that keeps keep showing up. We, we, we've touched and we've seen and Jesus was here. We saw him with our eyes. He was revealed. And verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest or revealed among us, right here where we live, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to earth, John says, so that we might live. That theme came up in, in the, the scripture readings in Isaiah where Joel highlighted, just note the pronouns, are and we. And now John is saying it here that Jesus Christ was sent to earth so that we might live, so that we might have life and life eternal. Uh, what's going on in these verses? Well, just a really high level picture. God the Father took his greatest treasure his one and only Son, and sent Him here to earth as a gift so that we might have eternal life. The Father sacrificed His most beloved possession for the gain of another, for the gain of all of us. That is love. And John says God is love, and He's demonstrated it. Not only did God send His one and only Son so that we might live, God sent His one and only Son so that He could die. Look at verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, Again, just really high level picture here. What's going on? God the Father sent Jesus to earth as a baby so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And God's love toward us ultimately would involve suffering, sacrifice, selflessness, and death. Jesus died and took the Father's wrath for our sins. That's the idea of that big word propitiation there in that verse. We might observe as well from verse 10 that God sent his one and only Son when our backs were turned. Look at verse 10 again. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love, John is very clear, God's love was not a response to man's love. God didn't go, wow, those, those people down there on earth are so lovely, and they love me so much. I think I'm going to do something loving in response to their love. God's love was not a response to man's love. God's love was not a, a response to man's neutrality. God's not up in heaven going, well, all those people down there, they just seem sort of neutral to me. The demonstration of God's love was not contingent on us demonstrating our love to him first. God's love was initiated by him towards people whose backs were turned, us. And then look at verse 11. Beloved, If God so loved us, if God loved us in this manner, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. John makes the following application. If God loved us in this manner, fashion or way, then we ought to do the same thing towards each other. God's love is and should be the model for our love. His love is our standard and our example. 
John's saying, look at how God the Father loved you. What you see there, that ought to be the same way that you love each other. A few months ago, my son and I sat on the kitchen floor together because I had decided, you know what, this kid needs to learn how to tie his shoes. It's time. The day has come. This needs to happen. And so there we were sitting on the kitchen floor and we each put a shoe on and one step at a time, I taught him how to tie his shoelaces. You know, you take these, you cross these and you pull and you make a bow. You wrap the other one around it and pull it through. And step by step, we went. I showed him every step in slow motion and broke it down and showed him what to do and we did it together. And it took a few tries, but he got it. You want to know how to love your brothers, even the difficult ones, God says. Well, your father has shown you. And he's essentially said, do it like this. And do it like this, son. It looks like this. It looks like my love for you through my son, Jesus Christ. Do it like this. Because God has shown his love to us, we should love one another and just practically what that means, following God's example, we should be willing to selflessly give and sacrifice of what we love most for the good and benefit of other people. And I think when we ask, well, what is it that I love most? Well, probably the, the really high-level answer to that is that we love ourselves, <laughs> right? And so when we think about following Christ's example, we should be willing to selflessly give and sacrifice of ourselves for the good and benefit of other people. Also, following God's example, we should seek to love even those who are not loving us. We should endeavor to love even those who feel as if, uh, if we feel as if they are unworthy of our love. And you probably have people like that in your life that you just look at them and go, well, this, this person is not worthy of my time. This person is not worthy of my love. I have tried and I've tried and I've tried and it's just never reciprocated and I'm done. We should endeavor to love even those who feel as if they are unworthy of our love. And as well, following God's example, we should be the ones taking the initiative. Um, love does not sit waiting for other people to make the first move. You know, once they do this, then I'll do that. And once they respond this way, well, then I'll respond in love. Once they show me love, then I'll show them love. Love doesn't sit waiting for the other person to make the first move. It initiates regardless of another person's obstinacy or even sin. God is the source and origin of love. He's demonstrated his love through the gift of his one and only son. But is that where it stops? Is that where God intends it to stop? That God is love and he has demonstrated his love towards us. No, that's not where God intends for it to stop. There's a third reason that we should love one another. Because God intends for his love to transfer. He intends for it to keep on going. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Why does John make that statement? Well, God the Father does not have a physical body. God is spirit. So John writes, no one has ever seen him. But then he makes this statement. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Uh, it has never been God's intent to, for his love to stay all wrapped up within himself. I mean, think about what you're doing uh, maybe later today or what you've done the last couple of days. You bought these presents, you bought these gifts for people, you wrapped them all up, you put them under the tree, but you're not going to leave them there forever. 
You're not going to wrap them up and then eventually just go throw them out. What you wrapped up, you're going to give that to somebody and they're going to open it up and it's going to be theirs and they're going to enjoy it. It has never been God's intent for his love to stay all wrapped up within himself. God's love was designed to transfer. God wants his love to flow all the way to its intended destination. And you might go, well, that must be me. Because he sent his his son to die for me. Yes, he did. And, And the rest of the world as well. But you are not personally the end of the road with God's love. God's intent is not that he would just give it to you and it would stop there. God wants to keep displaying his love. How so? Well, God intends to show his love through us. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. And it's almost like John is saying something like this. No one's ever actually seen God. I mean, after all, he doesn't have a body. God is spirit. No one has actually seen God, but we know where he lives. We know where he lives. He lives or abides in us. He lives or abides in his people. And though God is not perceived by physical eyes, he is seen through the transformed temples or his people in which he dwells. No one's ever seen God, but we know exactly where he lives. He lives in his people. And when we love each other, people get a glimpse of God. God is put on display through his people. As you kind of follow the progression of this text, we see that God put his love on display through Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, and Jesus is putting the Father on display. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Um, now, we, now we get that privilege. How is God's, if you follow the text, how is God's love seen in verses 9 and 10? It's seen in Jesus Christ. But how is God's love shown in verses 11 to 12? Through us. Love is the evidence that God remains, abides, and lives in us. If God is love and he lives in us, then love will be shown through us. God intends to show his love through us and God intends to reproduce his love in us. Verse 12 says that if we love one another... John ends this way, God's love is perfected in us. Uh, The idea is that if we are loving one another, then God's love ends up reaching its intended destination or goal. You might think of it this way, God's love ends up uh, running and crossing the finish line. Love needs to reach its intended goal. Uh, We're, I think, probably all familiar with the idea of a, a relay race from the Olympics, Uh, runners in a relay race, they compete their particular stretch of the race. And then they pass the baton on to the next runner who runs the next leg of the race. And what does he do? He passes it on until eventually that baton crosses the finish line in the hands of one of the runners and the entire course has been run. As John uh, concludes in verse 12, he's basically saying that love needs to run its entire course and it needs to cross the finish line. It needs to reach its intended goal. And so the question is, well, when does that happen? What is the finish line that love needs to cross? When does that happen? Well, God's love crosses the finish line when first it gets passed from father to son. We saw that in these verses, that God is love and he has demonstrated his love to us. 
And his love is passed from father to his children. You and I. His love crosses the finish line when it gets passed from father to son and then to brother. If we love one another, John says, his love is perfected in us. It reaches its intended destination. It crosses the finish line when God's love goes from him to us and then out. Because God intends for his love to transfer, we should love one another. And a few thoughts on that. Um, You can love others as God loved you because God lives in you. As John writes, he's just not writing the language of figure it out and do it. Be really strong and do it. Just love that person. Just love your spouse. Just love your children. Just love your family members. Just love all the people here at church. Just do it, do it, do it, do it. Just, that's all you need to do. Just try really hard and do it. That's not at all how John is writing. He's teaching you and I that, that we can love others as God loves because he lives in us. God, who is love, has taken up his residence in us. He lives and abides and remains in us. And so when God gives us the call to love, it is not a call to look deep within and muster it up. It is a call to look to the God who dwells within you and say, God, will you help me love with your love? And the love that you have shown me by sending your son and your spirit to dwell within me, would you help that love now to move out towards other people? Don't look within to try to love those around you. God is the source of what you need, and he will help you if you let him. And often our our failures to love are really a failure to let the Spirit of God, the God of love, control us. Another thought, you can't love others if you don't have the God of love in you. That's that's one of John's points. He goes, listen, where you don't see love, what that means is, is that God does not dwell there. When you see a person who does not have a love for the people of God, what that means is that God does not dwell in that person. Where does this all start? Where where do the waters of, of God's love flow from? What is the head of that river? It is God himself. And if you look at yourself and go, I just can't do this. I, and In fact, I've been spending my whole life trying to do this and it's not working. Well, what's the solution to that? It's not for you to just be a really loving person. It's for you to have the God of love dwelling within you. That is the beginning. Uh, Going back to verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. But back in verse 7, love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God. God wants you to be able to love those around you. And what's critical to that is you being born of God. And John talks about this in his gospel. He talks about the need when he spoke to Nicodemus of being born again. You were born physically, but you need to be born of God. You need a new birth, a new life. God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God is a God who makes all things new. And if you want to love the way that God loves other people, that starts with God dwelling in you. And I would encourage you to cry out to God and say, God, you've shown your love for me. And you want to come live and dwell in me and you want me to to love like you love. God, what you did for me, and paying the price for my sins and dying to atone for my sins, I want to take that and I I want to accept that by faith. I believe that. God, would you save me from my sins and would you transform me 
to look like Jesus. God loves to do that. You go, well, would God do that for me? Well, if you look at the text, he said that's why he came, so that he could do that for you. And what better day to cry out and ask God to save you and cleanse you of your sins than Christmas Day as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ who came to do the very thing that we've been talking about. Why should we endeavor to love one another? Not because it's the right thing to do. Not because it makes the world a better place. It's because God himself, God is love. That is why you and I should endeavor to love one another. Would you bow your heads with me at this time? And 